The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet Dr. Dr. is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and happy Cinco de Mayo. We are here. This is Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and you can see our special guest today. It's Ask Dr. Doreen Day and Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is here with us live. And we are going to be live for the next hour. She is going to be answering your questions. I want to tell you that there are many different ways to send your question in. You can, you, if you're watching us live right now on Wednesday, Cinco de Mayo, uh, then you're seeing us either on Facebook Live, on Twitter, on YouTube, or you might be watching us on our homepage, autism-live.com. If you're watching on any of the, the social networks, you can write your comments directly into them and they will show up here on our screen. If you have longer comments, we do encourage you to do that at autism-live.com or you can send messages, not live messages because I can only have so many windows open. I'm one of those people, can't walk and talk and chew gum at the same time. So, but if it's if you're watching us recorded and you want to send in a question, you can send it directly to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. I love to get your questions and your comments, and uh, more importantly, Dr. Grampichet loves to get them as well. I do want to reiterate that we this show is live right now, but we podcast it later on, so you can download any of our shows. It's a free download wherever you get your podcasts. We're literally everywhere, and we want to thank all of you for making us the number one autism podcast worldwide. We're so thrilled that you guys have believed in us enough and shared us enough and liked us enough that that is the rating that we currently have. And we're, we're very excited and grateful to you for that. Our mission here is to provide information and inspiration. So please, if you find something that you believe is worthwhile here, do share it, do like us, uh, do follow us on Facebook or on YouTube. And we, promise that we will keep delivering you that content. But we'd like to get to more people around the world. Uh, and I love it on Wednesdays when we, it's like a UN meeting. We have everybody from everywhere around the world joining us and we're thrilled that uh, to have you guys here. Feel free to go ahead. You can start right now writing in your comments into the chat if you have questions or just say hello to Dr. Grampichet. Uh, I want to welcome her. Welcome, uh, Dr. Grampichet. Hi, Shannon, and hello, everyone. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. For people who don't know Dr. Grampichet, whenever possible, she joins us on Wednesday morning. She donates her time to be answering your questions. She is a true, I believe, the preeminent expert in the field of autism in our time. 
She is the founder of the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, also the founder of the amazing charity Autism Care Today that has given away Oh, well over a million. I think I think they've surpassed the two million dollar mark in uh, services and support. Uh, I'm saying good morning to George and Diana for writing in. And one of the things that I truly love about Dr. Grampichet is that for more than 40 years, and I know that that is shocking as you look at her, you, you're like, she couldn't have been doing anything for more than 40 years, let alone working professionally in the field of autism. But yes, my friends, it's true. Uh, for more than 40 years, she's been working in this field and she looks at individuals and the, and the support group around an individual. She sees a whole person, whether that's a whole child, a whole teenager, or a whole adult. In fact, um, you're being recognized and you're going to be doing a big talk coming up at the end of this month at ABAI which is a pivotal turning point in the field of autism and an ABA. And there, I don't think there's anybody else that could do what you are going to do, uh, what you have done your whole career, which is look at, look at individuals on the spectrum as whole people who have you know, more than just a diagnosis of autism and sometimes have medical issues. And you are really at the forefront of making sure that clinicians in the field of ABA have an understanding of this, have the educational tools to be able to help more families. So we, you know, we all adore Dr. Grampichet. I adore Dr. Grampichet. Those of you who watch the show know that my son, you know, would not be where he is today if it weren't for Dr. Grampichet and the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. So she's here She's able to answer your questions. However, the asterisk is that she cannot give individual specific advice in this format. That would be a disservice to the people on the spectrum because she doesn't have eyes on the situation. But what she can do, if you're very specific with your comments and your questions, is give you information that she has that's the best in the world uh, about things you might look at, questions you might have, things that you might go back and talk to your expert who has eyes on the situation. Do I have that just about right, Dr. Grampy Shang? Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you, Shannon. We'll do our very best to help. And George, I love your question. You say, are Shannon or Dr. Doreen autistic or have autistic friends and, and family? And uh, I, will, I will let her speak for herself. I do not have a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. I say all the time that I need to go in for a sensory processing disorder because I, you know, I have concerns about that. Dr. Grampichet and I have talked about that before. And I think, I think you're pretty clear about the fact that I'm doing okay. I don't have a disorder. I might have issues, but I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm managing my life. However, uh, this show, we always say this, uh, this show is for the larger autism community, which starts with people on the autism spectrum, but then it includes everyone who loves someone on the spectrum. And that is where I come in. I, that's, you know, I'm one of so many people, millions of billions of people around the world that loves many people on the spectrum, but that starts with my beautiful son, who is amazing. And I would fight anyone who told me that he was anything less than perfect and amazing. Uh, those are fighting words, right? Uh, but I have many friends that are individuals who are on the autism spectrum and more family that is on the spectrum. So that, George, that's me, Dr. Grampichet. Would you yeah. like to answer? Sure, sure. I'm also not on the spectrum, George. Um, I, I 
Having said that, just like Shannon, I not only love lots of individuals on the spectrum, but I've uh, spent most of my life getting to know individuals on the spectrum and working with individuals on the spectrum. So I feel like I am more uh, comfortable and familiar with autism than with typical development. <laughs> and like that's, you know, it, so I think uh, my, my world is all autism and individuals on the spectrum. So I, and I'm still learning, but I, but I do love being in this world and I love all of the folks that I've worked with and learned from. And I, I think I would go so far as to say that uh, at this point in my life, I feel like I am more comfortable in the, in the company of individuals on the spectrum than when I am at an event or with people that aren't. Um, I, I, it's just my home, my tribe, my, that's where I live my life. So yeah. that's an interesting thing too. Uh, okay. We're getting a lot of questions. We had some questions that came in that I want to get to, but, uh, we're getting a lot of questions that are coming in and one that just jumps right out at me that, um, Diane is saying, do you believe that a person with ASD can recover? And I'm going to, I'm going to unloose, uh, Dr. Grand Pichet on this, but I just want to say for anybody who's having an immediate allergic reaction to the word recover, um, Dr. Grand Pichet will talk to you about, because I think different people have a different idea of what that means, Dr. Grand Pichet. So maybe we start there. Yeah, sure. And, and, you know, a lot of, thank you, Diane, for asking that question. Um, I would recommend that you, and I, I will get to di discussing the word recover, but I, I would suggest that you take a look at a video that I, a film that I made a few years ago called Recovered Journeys on the Autism Spectrum and Back. So um, yeah, that tells you that I, I hear an echo. I'm not sure. If oh, it might be me. Let me turn down my. Uh, I, I, it might be me. Okay, so I am not sure if uh, there are. You know, I know that there's a lot of people who have uh, uh, concerns about the word recover, and I just want to kind of clarify my position on that. Um, I don't think of autism as something bad that you need to be taken away from. I think that it is, uh, it is like any other disorder. It is something that is debilitating enough for some people that they would, they themselves or their parents or guardians would like them to overcome some of the symptoms that act as obstacles in life so that the individual can interact socially and uh, engage with all the uh, wonderful reinforcers that are available in life. So, uh, you know, I know there are people who are sort of feel like recover, why would I, you know, that's, that's a bad word. And why do you want to pull, you know, force people to, to be what they're not. And there's nothing about forcing people. When we talk about recovery, it's about people uh, coming to us and saying, Hey, I just need to learn to talk better. I need to learn to socialize better. I need to learn to uh, take care of myself and hygiene and safety better or parents coming and saying like you guys uh, my child can't sleep my child needs potty training my child needs whatever it is 
and us working towards teaching those those specific skills. And once you the, the individual, the child learns enough skills, they no longer have enough symptoms to qualify for a diagnosis. So, and that's essentially happens with a lot of our kids is just you look at it not as a term or a label, but you, and especially autism. Autism is such a huge spectrum. It's really about uh, looking at uh, just the skills that are not, uh, that are holding the individual back, right? The lack of skills that are holding the individual back. And there's so many examples of this. Like we want our kids to be able to have friends as an example. So if their social behavior is not acceptable by peers, we want to teach the child how to interact with peers in a way that they can get friends. Um, it, that's just one example. Uh, if a child is frustrated because they can't express what they want verbally, we try to teach them how to express it, either verbally or non-verbally, but to be able to communicate with the world. So the, the things that we teach are uh, skills that help the individual interact, communicate, ha have their needs met, socialize, gain reinforcers from their social environment. And all of those types of skills end up in the end removing the diagnosis because the child no longer has those deficits that are part of the, the diagnostic criteria. You're on mute, Shannon. No. Maybe your volume is too far down. No. Um, I'm going to let you try to figure out. Still can't hear you, but I'm going to let you try to figure out on your end, and I'll just keep kind of talking about these other questions that are here. Um, because there's uh, more people coming in that are talking about this subject. And I want to kind of go back to like something that George has written in here, um, saying that I believe ABA therapy is extremely cruel. And I just want to say, George, I, it is, it's not at all cruel. And if you think about it, it, good ABA is not cruel. So if you think about ABA as not a, uh, just an intervention, oh, you can, maybe they can't hear me either. Looks like they can't hear me either, Trayvon. Oh, they can hear me. Okay. So um, I'm just going to keep talking then. So uh, ABA is basically just what happens in, thank you, George, what happens in real life. If you guys think about it, in real life, we... Uh, will, for instance, get up in the morning and get dressed and go to work, right? Why do we go to work in the morning? What, what motivates us? The reason that we get up and go to work is because of many different things. One is we get paid and the money that we receive is the biggest reinforcer. It's a token. We use that reinforcer to buy all other types of reinforcers like food and shelter and so on, right? But our behavior of getting up and going to work is motivated by the fact that we get paid for it. 
It is also motivated by things like uh, you want to see your, your colleagues at work. Um, that's the social motivation. That's also a reinforcer. It's also motivated by things like uh, internal re rewards of feeling accomplished and so on. But all of these types of things are reinforcers, right? So we do these things because we receive reinforcers. ABA is basically exactly the same process. It essentially has to do with, oh, I am going to be uh, providing, you know, doing, I'm going to give the child a reinforcer when they do the skill that they want to learn. So for instance, if the child is not talking, I'm going to break down language into the smallest minute steps, and then I'm going to give the child reinforcers when they uh, show me approximations towards speech. Or if the child is not socializing, I'm going to break down social behavior and then give the child uh, access to those particular rewards that they want when they show the social behavior. So all of these types of things, ABA, that's what ABA is. And when, when people use it correctly, all they're doing is teaching the individual how to access reinforcers in their environment in a way with, with behaviors that are more appropriate. So, uh, and, and not, you know, appropriate to the environment. So I hope I answered that question. Um, and again, you know, don't think of it as something that is a, I don't, I don't know how to explain this. It's just a, a methodology. It's a technique. It's not necessarily a, a single program. It's a series of techniques that have to do with simplifying instruction and making it so that kids can learn easier or adults can learn easier. So that's all it is. And I know out there are a lot of uh, people who have had bad experiences with ABA and I feel really bad about that because honestly there are um, some organizations that I, where I know that people are not doing ABA and they're being too punitive, there's no punishment in, in good ABA. So those are some of the things that, that I want you guys to pay attention to. Shannon, I think you're still working on trying to get back in here. Um, and I'll let you do that. Trayvon, could you send me the link to the questions so that I can try to see questions that are popping up fast. Um, I see one and I apologize to our viewer, viewers because I know lots of questions already came up, but they've my screen doesn't allow me to see them. So I'm going to just answer the ones that are coming in right now. Um, I wish my very high functioning Aspie six year old received ABA and learned all the skills now rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially individuals who are very high functioning, it is always a good idea to do ABA with them. But um, again, here's a good example where we want to talk about different types of ABA. When I'm dealing with someone who is high functioning, I honestly don't do like the classic type of ABA. I much more likely will do uh, natural environment training because I don't want my, my uh, student 
to feel like they are getting, uh, you know, bored or it's too repetitive, remote, that kind of thing. So it's important to do the right type of ABA as well. And that's something we all need to pay attention to as well. Shannon, are you back with us or not yet? No, still can't hear you. Oh no, that's okay. I'm just gonna keep going. <laughs> if that's okay with you. Um, okay, so Parker asked if uh is are there other diets that I recommend aside from GFCF? Oh my gosh, there are a lot of other diets, Parker. Uh, a lot of people are also allergic to uh, soy or corn. And I think it's important that instead of me telling you there's also a specific carbohydrate diet, there's other types of diets. I would really suggest that you connect with a nutritionist. Shannon, I think we have you now. Oh my gosh, thank goodness. I heard uh, a dog in the background, <laughs> so that's great. <laughs> Okay, you can hear me now? Yes, yes. Okay, so go I'll, ahead and finish what you're doing this now. Be quiet for a minute. Okay. Sure. One of our favorite people who has been on uh, the uh, Shannon's Autism Live shows is Julie Matthews. She is a fantastic nutritionist. I highly recommend getting on her website, uh, which is Nourishing Hope, I think, right, Shannon? And yes. she has tons of good information on her website, Parker. I would really, I, I have turned to Ju, Julie Matthews for uh, consulting on several of my patients. She's very, very good. And she will do an assessment so that she fully understands what you need as opposed to just what a general diet is. Wonderful. And I apologize everybody because in the, whatever was happening, um, we lost a lot of the questions that came in earlier uh, because I had to leave and come back and when we did that. So if you, if you wrote in a question earlier, uh, please feel free to write it in again now. Um, but we we have had some people who are writing in and saying, uh, my child is seven years old. Do you happen to work with a child who still recovered at that age? My assumption is that you um, are saying that your child is just now starting at seven, is just now starting ABA. Uh, is that what your assumption is also, Dr. Grampiche? Yeah, yeah. I, I, and, and I just want to tell you, yes, I, I have had children recover even if they started at seven. It really has, and, and again, I don't want recovery to be the only goal here because let's assume that recovery is the mastery of 100% of the skills that the individual is lagging on, right? And what if your child masters 90% or 80%? Wouldn't you want that? So bottom line is we just need to get going as soon as possible and start teaching our kids using ABA, which is kind of like a, you know, it's just a protocol. And it's, it's a type of language or communication with the child. And that, that way, our, the younger we start, the more intensively we work, the more the child is going to learn. It's really just that simple. So I would get going um, immediately. Okay. And I loved it when you were talking about ABA, at, uh, Dr. Grampy Shea, because one of the things that we talk about here on the show a lot is quality ABA. 
and the importance of quality ABA. It, it is literally like, you know, the thing that I've said, I'm going to be talking about it till the day I die. They're going to go to put me in the ground. And I'm going to go, wait, one more thing about quality ABA. So I do want to acknowledge that as we're talking about ABA, and I know some of you um, say that you've had a bad experience or somebody you know that's had a bad experience. I just want to reiterate, nobody is trying to negate that. Yes. But if you have gone to a car dealership and you bought a car and the car didn't work and was a lemon, you know, we would all go, we would, none of us would doubt you when you said that you bought a lemon, none of us would doubt you, but we would never say all car, car dealerships are bad. Um, so I just want to make sure that we're being clear about that because there is good quality ABA. I know this for a fact. I am the most helicopter parent that there is. And when I tell you that I had when I had my son in ABA, it was, we could only have home base. There was no center base back then because it was the dark ages of autism. And I, my house was wired with nanny cams. And I sat in the other room and watched the therapy and saw the mirror. I called it the miracle, the autism miracle in my living room because it was so amazing. And, and Watching it taught me a couple of things. First of all, what they were doing, because back then we didn't have um, e-learnings where you could go and learn what the therapists were doing, but I watched it sitting watching them. Um, and I, so I learned a language that they were teaching my child and, and how that my child was infinitely teachable and that he could enjoy learning. That's what I learned from the autism miracle in my living room. So I can assure you that there is really good quality ABA out there and it doesn't traumatize a child and that it can help them so much. Don't get me emotional, okay? But uh, I just want you to know, nobody's negating that other people have had bad experience with it. Uh, Sam wants to know, my son is potty trained for pee, but I cannot get him to do number two on the potty. Please help. I think that's a pretty, um, you know, I think a lot of people... I don't want to say that it's a pretty, you know, I don't, I don't like to call anything normal. I, I think normal is just a, a setting on the dryer now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a pretty common thing that kiddos get the pee thing faster than the poo thing. Yeah, that, that, that's no question. There's no question. That is absolutely right. But some kids, it takes a very long time with both. So I, again, I would recommend that you, uh, you know, I think we've done several shows on the topic of potty training, and I would assume that they've gone into uh, doing kind of bowel movement training, which is a, a phase after the, the urination training. So um, I would refer to all of those recordings, as well as the Fox and the Azrin uh, information, which you can look up online as well, Fox and Azrin toilet training. And so, uh, and those give you step-by-step -step instructions. It does take a little time. And with, with the bowel movement training, a bunch of different issues come into play. Sometimes kids are scared of the toilet itself. Sometimes they, uh, you know, have learned to run into a closet and find privacy to go. Sometimes they want the sensation of their diaper uh, when they actually void. So there's a lot of different reasons that might lead to it, but I don't want to go through and tell you solutions to those without you knowing the procedure. So I really recommend that you look at the Fox and Azrin toilet training procedure, but also look at some of our recordings, like because I know we've had multiple shows on and where we've gone into great detail. 
Yes, absolutely. There's so much information about this. And the one thing that I love um, about the potty training issue is that I remember when my kid was little and I thought, will he ever be potty trained? I was hearing stories of kids that never got potty trained. And then when I met people who were in the world of ABA, they were like, oh yeah, no, that's going to happen. It may not happen on the time schedule that you thought it was going to happen, but that's yeah. going to happen. Your child's going to get potty trained and they're just total like, oh yeah, no, that's not a problem. We've cracked the code on potty training. I was like, well, the world needs to know that because there's a lot of us running around in fear that will never happen. So right. I just want to say to you that the fear that you're having that it won't happen, trust me, there, you know, the Fox Nazarin and good ABA, they, it will happen. It, yeah. it, he's not going to go off to college in a pull-up if you do all the things that they tell you to do. Because I think that's part of it, Dr. Grampy-Shea, the fear for the caregivers. Uh, okay, we're, the questions are pouring in so fast. Uh, hello, my son communicates his needs, wants. He is now four and a half. But when will he start to communicate with us just randomly? This is a great question. So the, you need to do a generalization of the skills that he has already mastered, first of all. So if he is, if he's just expressing his needs, that's called manding. And that is wonderful. And that needs to be generalized so that whenever he has a need, he asks. Okay, great. Next phase is that you're team, assuming you're doing ABA, would be teaching him labeling, which is called tacting. And that is kind of the next phase of language, which is basically, uh, if you think of uh, typically developing kids and they're like, you know, two years old and sitting in the car as you're driving and they're just pointing to things and labeling them like tree and bus and so on. That is the next phase. And so your team needs to be teaching tacting. And then again, they need to generalize it to home so that you will hear your child starting to tact, label things in their environment, in, in his or her environment. And then after that, it goes on to another phase, which is called introverbals, which is language that doesn't have kind of a visual cue in front of it, like a label is a visual cue, right? It's an object that you see and then you label it. Interverbals are more kind of situation-based. So that's things like when the child comes home and tells you what they did in school. So there's no visual in front of them, but it's something that passed and they can talk about it. But these are phases that are taught in the development of language. This is one of the amazing things about ABA is that it follows a series of, of steps that, uh, that allow language development to occur following typical language development, but with a lot of support and, and detail. And so that's how you get generalized language. I love that so many people are writing in and saying, uh, you know, how much progress their kiddos have made and that they wanna share that with the world. Uh, I wanna thank, especially Amanda and Ganja for writing in and saying that your kids are making so much progress and how much you believe in good quality ABA um, because it is a thing. And I think more people need to know um, that there is uh, a difference in the good quality ABA. Uh, so somebody's written in and said, my grandson doesn't eat and it's very hard to put him to sleep. Again, yeah. these are, you know, these are very concerning issues that um, are all too common in, in the world of autism, especially for kiddos, but very concerning. Very concerning. And I, I'm so glad you got to that question because I have highlighted that one. I wanted to make sure I, under, uh, I respond to that. 
So neither one of those are things that I that you as a grandparent can alter on your own. I don't just start there because those are both a little bit difficult. Uh, eating, there's a whole feeding program we have, and I know others have, that is for uh, kids who won't eat. And it is very important to focus on that because the child will tend to crave things that they are not supposed to eat, things that their their immune system is kind of reacting to or they're allergic to in some ways. And so we don't want to let, and I would guess, I'm just guessing, that your grandchild is uh, going to be eating a lot of things that are breaded, maybe with carbohydrates. Like, you know, they might, a lot of kids come to me and their parents will be like, yeah, he'll eat things that are like, uh, you know, cheese or <laughs> gluten, you know, like basically things, all things they're not supposed to eat. So um, the, the reversing of that is a process. It's a feeding program and it starts with uh, allowing good foods and not allowing those foods that are detrimental. Other kids have issues with just even putting food in their mouth because it just the sensory aspect of it is intolerable for them. Um, or they have such incredible sense uh, smell that they, they won't take tolerate certain things. So all of this you have to do in a very, very gradual phase. And it's, not, it's very hard for parents to do. I wish I had made a video when we had active feeding patients because it's a process. You start with uh, like very, very small, tiny morsels of foods that the child should eat like for instance, a half of a teaspoon of something that the child should eat. And you reward that with a lot of what the child wants to eat. Their, their, their breaded products or the stuff that they want. Um, or other reinforcers if they're not eating anything at all. Like you can turn on the TV when they take that spoonful of, of what you want them to eat. And then it's a shaping procedure where you gradually increase that. Um, I really, really recommend that you work with a BCBA, a behavior analyst, because this is one of those things that all behavior analysts are trained on to do. It's shaping up food uh, and eating the right uh, foods and actually just eating. I mean, I've had children who were on a G-tube because they didn't eat at all. That's how particular they were. And within, I want to say six months, they were eating a completely normal diet, a very healthy diet. So it, that's very doable. And actually, I really recommend it because eating and all the movement that goes on in the mouth is actually also very good for kids who have apraxia, low muscle tone in the tongue and in the mouth. So all eating, chewing, uh, the tongue movements that occur when you're eating, all of that is very good for speech. Um, and I think this parent also, had, this grandparent, you also wrote about sleep. Sleep is also one of those things that's very difficult for parents and grandparents to deal with because our children get used to the comfort. Now, again, it goes back to that theory of reinforcement that I was talking about. It's very reinforcing for any child, any child at all, to get up in the middle of the night and go to their parents. Most of our kids do that. But with typically developing kids, at some point, we stop allowing them to do that, right? But with our kids, we are so concerned 
that they might have a need that they can't express or we don't know what's waking them up because they can't communicate it with us, that we continue to allow it. And I have many, many families that will tell me that the child wakes up repeatedly um, or doesn't go to sleep and it is a behavioral habit that has occurred. On the other hand, there's a lot of things to consider with our kids. Some of our kids have extremely sensitive hearing. Um, there could be noises in the background at night that's waking them up. Um, other kids have so much going on in the gastrointestinal tract with GI issues and immune dysfunction that they just can't calm down and relax. A lot of our, our patients take melatonin, which helps them. Um, you know, there's so sleep is another one where I would really recommend that you, for both of these, you have to, and I, I, I apologize because there's a lot to do here, but these are both important things. For the sleep, I would really recommend that you talk to the pediatrician as well as a behavioral person like a BCBA, because the pediatrician can make sure there's no underlying activity, seizures, anything that's disturbing the child. And then the behavioral person can teach good sleep habits, okay? For the eating, I would talk to a nutritionist so that you identify uh, exactly what the child is uh, allergic to or reactive to. And then I would work with a behaviorist to teach the, the appropriate feeding behaviors. Okay, wonderful. Uh, there was another question, and I'm going to paraphrase because it, it went away when we when I was having the problems. But somebody had written in and said that their child, I believe, was four, had been getting ABA, good ABA, for a couple of years, and that is doing quite well in school, which I would assume was preschool. But they're saying that at home, so hyperactive, yes, um, that they said it's driving them crazy. And I wanted to make sure that we got to that question. Yes. Uh, okay. So, oh, here, and Traven found it for me. So my son is six. He's been in ABA for three years, uh, has made great progress, but he's so hyperactive. He does a great, and his center, not a preschool, uh, but so hyperactive at home and, and is now becoming defiant. I'm losing my mind. I'm sending a hug. Yeah, I, I completely understand where you're what you're saying, I, I've seen children who are extremely hyperactive and it can be very, very difficult. I am so glad that he's at a center. That means that the child is receiving ABA, assumedly. Um, I would really tell your team that they need to generalize to the home setting. That's essentially what they need to do. That means they need to bring therapy home. They need to start working at home and they need to work with you. So for instance, they will, first of all, bring it to the setting. So this behavior, he's already mastered the behavior. He just hasn't mastered it across settings and across people. That means to the home and with you. So I really feel like what you should do is talk to your team and have them come to the house, work a few hours at the house every week and to engage you and get you and other parents involved so that they get the other parent involved so that you can all uh, interact the same way. Okay, wonderful. Um, I, can I just put in a plug to when it when it's ADHD that you know you were talking earlier about Julie Matthews oh, and, and for anybody who is is watching this, 
I think it's important to look if you're having ADHD behaviors from any of your children on the spectrum or not, it's so important to look at the diet piece, everything that Dr. Grampiche was saying before, specifically with ADHD about artificial colors and flavors and pesticides. There have been yeah. all kinds of studies that have shown that even a small amount of pesticide in a child's body will have a direct correlation to the amount of ADHD behavior they're engaging in. And, and the, I've talked before about the artificial color thing. If you don't believe me, go to a birthday party and watch the kids eat the birthday cake that's got all the frosting with all the colors and set your clock for implosion. And you will watch kids of all ages, all skill levels, on the spectrum, not on the spectrum, and they implode. Um, and once you watch that once and you put those two things together, let me tell you, you will never go back. That's true. Um, And I'm so, thank you so much, Shannon, for reminding me that the the individual, the parents had written ADHD. I 100% agree with you. Diet plays a very critical role. It's sugar and also generally tends to be food dye. Um, but also I would recommend that if your child has received a formal diagnosis of ADHD, I would recommend talking to a physician, whether it's a pediatrician or pharmacologist or a psychiatrist about medications for ADHD. Um, and these are, you know, it's tough to take medication when our kids are young, but I've also, I just want to be honest with you guys and tell you, I've seen huge differences in some of our kids where as soon as they get on a medication, their activity level drops so significantly that they start to receive information better. Like you have to remember that with ADHD, you're, you're processing everything so fast that you miss a ton of stuff that's going on around you. You just miss it because you're, imagine if you were on a train that was going by fast, right? You see certain things. You don't see everything because you're not there. You've already passed it. So slowing down is one of those things that really helps our kids just receive information better. Wonderful. Thank you. Angel says, my eight-year-old is always hungry. She can eat three bowls of spaghetti. She also has an issue with heat. She can't stand being outside when too hot. What is this and what can I do? Yeah, I. you need to get in touch with one of the physicians who is trained um, with biomedical issues pertaining to autism. I would, I don't know where you are, Angel, maybe write into us and we'll try to help you connect with one of those folks. Or you can go on the website. Uh, what is MAPS website? Is it? It's, I think it's MAPS. I just think, I, I think it's actually MedMAPS. MedMAPS. If you Google MedMap Autism, you'll find it. Um, yeah, it's a website that uh, an old friend of mine, Dan Rossignol, formed this group. And it's basically what used to be called Dan, the Dan Doctors. And it's a little bit, it's much more now kind of based on science and training and so on. But these are folks, okay, so Tampa, you have David Berger, who's I one love. of the best, best physicians out there. Yeah, I'd like to move to Tampa just to be near Dr. Berger. Honestly, he's fabulous. So please get in touch with Dr. David Berger. You can use my name, Shannon's name, um, as a reference, and he will help you. 
this is an issue with uh, some of our kids and their metabolism is very high. They have mitochondrial issues. You will need to talk to David and he will be able to help with managing this and it'll help a lot. Yeah, I mean, like of all the places in the world that you could have written in where you were, like I, I felt like we all just won the lottery when you wrote in Tampa. I was like, oh my gosh. You are the place where the person that I would most like to be for that kind of a thing, Angel. I'm so, like, I got goosebumps. It's meant to be. Uh, have a great time. He's going to be able to help you. That's absolutely wonderful. I got to pivot for just a second, uh, Dr. Grampy Shea, because I promised. Last night, I was getting messages from uh, a young man in Egypt who mm -hmm. identified himself as being on the spectrum and being 20 years old. And he said, please, uh, what help is there for me? I just can't deal with my own thoughts. And, and I was able to share just a couple of resources that you know are online for autism in Egypt. And apparently those are outdated and no longer there. Yeah. So for a young person in a place in the world where there aren't a lot of resources, yeah. is there anything that you can suggest to help deal with your own personal thoughts yeah so that actually concerns me shannon um i my initial and this is like you know my clinical training my initial reaction is um <clears throat> are we sure the diagnosis is correct so i would very much want to make sure of that as opposed to schizophrenia because when you are afraid or upset with your own thoughts that is a little bit different than than what we experience with autism so please maybe if this individual is listening they can write into you shannon and talk a little bit more about give us a little bit more detail about what these thoughts are and why they are upset or you know, frustrated with them, and then we can guide from there. Okay. And then we had a long, long question that came in, and, and I we get, we get this question in a lot of different formats, so I'm going to kind of condense it down. But somebody who wrote in, who is an adult on the spectrum, this particular person is 41, but we've had many people write in in their 20s and their 30s on the autism spectrum who are still struggling with their parents. Mm -hmm. that their parents, um, you know, it's, it's sort of this topsy-turvy thing where their parents think that they can't do things for themselves um, or the individual thinks that they can't do things for themselves. And this is a, a, a very much concern to me because I'm a parent mm -hmm. and I'm a parent of somebody who's about to be 18 in exactly yes. one month from today. And I think all of us as parents want to do the best by our children, but when they're adults, um, it gets harder is what I'm seeing because we're, we're in this mode where we've protected, protected, protected for so long. Um, it's hard to know how not to do it again. So I wondered if you could give us all some advice here for the person who's on the spectrum, things to say to their parent, to be able to move into a more adult relationship and something to say to the parents so that we know how, how to back off. It's, it's, great. it's great. I love it. It's a good problem to have. 
So um, it really is. I mean, how wonderful is this? Because we are now in a situation where an individual on the spectrum will use ABA to shape the behavior of their parents. And I love that. So I'm going to help you with that. So let's discuss this exactly. Like, what is the behavior that you would like from your parents? It is for them to be less uh, intrusive, I guess, of your of your choices. So uh, why don't you write down uh, the top five uh, situations that you find to be intrusive? For example, uh, you know, when I want to go to school, my parents doesn't let me because they're worried I won't be able to find my way. Whatever it is, right? I, you know, when I when I want to choose my classes. My parents intrudes because they think I'll make wrong choices. Uh, my parent doesn't let me drive because whatever it is, right? Write down those five and go and basically uh, pick one that bothers you the most. Let's start there because we're going to shape your parents' behavior. And you will now go to your parent and before that you'll practice a, a speech. And you'll go to your parent and you'll say, when you do this, it makes me feel like I am not good enough. I'm not capable. I'm not able. So can we try something different? Can we try to let me, next time, let me make a choice? And if it's a good choice, then from there on, you trust me, right? You trust me to succeed. And I just want to prove to you that you can trust me. Right, and you give them that talk, and then see what happens. If the parent allows you next time to make your choice, then be very, very rewarding. Right, so go give them a big hug, tell them how much you appreciate it, make sure they understand that you're super, super happy because they allowed you to make your own choice. Um, and if they don't allow you, go back and give the speech again. So I just keep reminding them of the agreement. And perhaps in your discussion, when you're reminding them, they'll explain to you what their issues are, right? Because sometimes parents don't allow the choice because of their own fears, right? They Or their own guilt. Like they might feel, oh my gosh, this is my job. If I don't make these choices, my child's going to fall off a cliff, right? So that's their own fear. And they can easily, they, you know, you can talk to them about that. But, but the bottom line is you try to make a deal on one goal at a time. And if they allow you and it is successful, then you give them a lot of love for it. You reward them. Now, this won't always work. And if it doesn't work, honestly, you can also ask to go see a therapist, family therapist with your parent. And this is, you know, people always think that uh, marriage family counselors, LMFT, licensed marriage family counselors are just for married couples. They're not. They're also for family. So you can also go see an LMFT or even a behavior analyst and say, this is something that I want to discuss with my parent and we're having a hard time communicating. And that clinician will help you set goals and work towards mutual goals. Makes what sense. I love about that, what I, and what I love about ABA, but the thing that we always miss is the reinforcer. You were saying, make sure that you're loving, make sure that you hug them. And I guarantee you for people that are watching, 
if you get the parent to agree on something and then it goes well and you're able to do the thing that you wanted to do, if you turn around in that moment and say, mom or dad, thank you for being such a great parent. I, you, you helped me to be able to do this. Look at this. I can do this because you helped me. Yeah. I guarantee you there will be a shift because that's all we want. Yeah. That's all yeah. we want is for you to be safe, to do well, and for us to be good parents and have been meaningful to you. So if you give us that, we will, we will let go of a lot of things. But Shannon, sometimes it's also part of it is that the parent, I think, you know, we as parents, we become trained to just do a certain amount. And then it, it, it's like when you stop doing those things, it, there's an emptiness, like, right? We refer to it as like emptiness. It's the same thing. It's like with, our, with kids on the spectrum, you end up doing more for a longer period of time. And then when they no longer need you to do that, it's a bigger hole. It's kind of like, what am I going to do with my own life now? So it's sort of like, uh, you know, the, the, for parents out there, being able to kind of find activities that in, they can engage with is so important as well. But, you know, now that you brought up this, uh, uh, the issue of adults, and I do notice that we have a lot of adults on our chat, which I love, I wanted to just throw out there, um, if there are any adults on the spectrum that who are interested in learning more about how to have a relationship or how to date others. Um, I've been asked, and there's a program that might happen, um, and I've been asked to try to collect names of individuals who might be, uh, who have an interest in learning more about dating or learning more about how to establish relationships with someone else, just dating in particular. Uh, and if you know of an adult or if you are an adult, I would really appreciate it if you could write in to Shannon um, and then Shannon will give me your information. And if that program actually does occur, does happen, I will probably be involved with it. And, and what it is, is like providing a lot of uh, feedback and training and techniques and tips um, and, and trying to help make you successful at that which is an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, what an opportunity. So if you guys wanna write in to me, you can do that at s.penrod at autism-live.com. I, I have a fear that I'm gonna be overrun with requests, but that's okay, that would be a good day. Uh, okay, I also, uh, we had a parent who wrote in and said, our son is four, been diagnosed with ASD a year ago. We're currently living in a region where there's poor education. Both my husband and I remember how autistic kids were treated when we were in school, not that long ago and not that far away. We're afraid he won't be able to reach his highest potential. We've been talking about moving, but my parents are retired and take care of him while we work. They're fantastic. He has a great relationship with them. We're afraid of him losing his connection with drawing. They cannot afford to move with us. And they say, I know that everyone has a different case, but, and we have to decide this for ourselves, but what do you think? And they're, and they're saying that they're thinking of moving overseas. Um, I don't know where the country is that they're starting moving overseas to, um, but, um, you know, it's that thing. I think a lot of people have to face a decision about, okay, my child on the autism spectrum needs something. I don't really see it where I am. If I leave here to go get it and I let go of our support group, 
isn't that going to hurt us more? And it's a tough, tough decision. What, what, because I've seen this happen many times and I've seen people yeah. make both choices. What are, what are your thoughts on this, Dr. Bishop? And they're in the U.S., Shannon, right Don't now? know that. Okay. I, I actually, I think that they are not in the U.S., but I don't know that for sure. Yeah. I, 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 so that is an important part of the, the, uh, the, the criteria here in order to answer the question, because I would, you know, I would suggest that it might, you, the support system is vital. Like, I just think that it is a critical part of doing this. And I would want to first try to help you find better uh, in, intervention uh, rather than move. Uh, so, I, and there's a big, big difference from country to country. So I kind of would like to have more information, I guess, before I can help advise you on that. Okay. Uh, wonderful. Okay, so Angel, who's so on it, has already looked up to see that Dr. Berger doesn't take her insurance and is a, is, is more than a little expensive, which I, we should have warned you of. And so she's wanting to know, is there anyone else? I, I would just like to plug that there are, um, I see how much you're saying he is. And when I tell you he's worth it, um, I, you know, because if you want to get the answers, um, he's the one who's going to have those answers. However, I understand not having the $240, but there are places that you can apply for grants um, for, or you can do a, a fundraiser um, that there are many people who even just do a fundraiser on Facebook and say, I'm doing a fundraiser for my child's health. Can I be honest and tell you that when we sent our child to a doctor like that, the first time we did a fundraiser, that is exactly what we did. We did a fundraiser and we raised the money because I couldn't afford the doctor or the tests. Yeah. Um, and I gotta tell you, Angel, it'll be more than just the initial 30 minutes, right? So you're gonna need more than 240. So I have two solutions. I mean, one is, first of all, the fact that a doctor doesn't take insurance doesn't mean that you cannot get insurance coverage. The way that it works is that you have to come up with the funds upfront so you would pay him the 240 and he then gives you a statement that you send to your insurance and you will get back from the insurance, whatever your coverage is. So 80% or whatever it is, instead of paying him, they'll pay you. And that is, everybody needs to know that your insurance does not just pay your doctor. They can also reimburse you, but it's a matter of coming up with the funds upfront and then you'll have it back in a month or maybe two months. Sometimes insurance takes a while. The other option you have is to write in, I mean, for this 240 for 30 minutes, I'm gonna fund that for you through my foundation, which is ACT, Autism Care Today. So please write in to Shannon and ask, uh, give her your information and I will, we will connect with Dr. Berger if you want, and we'll get you your initial uh, assessment of, uh, or consultation. And I will send him the payment for that. So you can tell them that ACT, Autism Care Today, or Dr. Doreen is going to fund it. And I will fund that for you because I want to make sure you get that help. He's, he's worth it. 
Wow, you're amazing, Dr. Grand Boucher. Uh, lightning moment right there. Um, yes. OMG, you're an angel. That's amazing. Uh, okay. Um, I'm crying too, angel. I'm right there with you. Um, cause I know how big that is and I know how much help that's going to give you. So that's really amazing. Dr. Grampy How can you do that to us? You turned us all to waterworks. Um, no, this is what act does Shannon. You know that I know, I mean, I know. families and I, you know, I, and we'll, we'll end up funding more than that because I think you will need medical tech. You'll need some lab tests and lab work. And I love doing that for families. That's what, that's all the fundraising we do is to directly help families. So this is, this is why, why we have that foundation. So please, you guys, Pretty if you amazing, have like that, you got to write into us. Okay. Uh, my four-year-old son, ASD son, probably has visual stimming, looks at moving trees, light coming out of the windows. His language skills are improving. Please help on how to work on this. Yeah. And they say, thank you for previ previous advice you've given in, um, over the weeks that they've been watching. Oh, I'm glad. <clears throat> Uh, so visual self-stimulatory behavior is a hard one to, to get rid of. I would aim initially at not trying to completely eliminate it, but to reduce it to certain times. So first of all, you know, moving trees, lights coming out of windows, et cetera, are going to be distracting. So make sure when he's learning stuff, when he's in therapy or whatever class, uh, those things are not in his view. Okay, so, and I've had this, I've had children where they're sitting next to the window in class and the teacher's like, well, he's not paying attention and the child is stimming on trees that are moving outside. So uh, it's really important to make sure he's not placed in a position where when instruction is being given, he can be distracted by those types of things. And then uh, what I would do is I would allow those activities at certain times of the day and the rest of the day, I would try to minimize it and allow him to just, you know, focus him. Now, if this is a short-term kind of solution. In the long term, there are um, developmental ophthalmologists who will do an evaluation and may come back and help you with things such as lenses that are shaped slightly differently, glass lenses lenses that might be tinted, uh, and eye exercises. We actually do some of these exercises like tracking uh, or binocularity, being able to focus both eyes on one object, those types of things. So uh, please make sure that you uh, also, if you have the possibility of getting together with a developmental ophthalmologist, that is important. Okay, I didn't realize how late it was, and I've gone over time. I apologize to Dr. Grampichet. Uh, no. She has things she has to get to. Um, but uh, if you need to write to me, whether you're Angel or somebody else, uh, because you're interested in dating skills, s.penrod at autism-live.com. Traven's got it up there for you on the screen, s.penrod at autism-live.com. I, I have to say tomorrow, you guys, pivotal show. Dr. Stephen Shore is going to be with us for the first time live. He's amazing. He's the person that's credited with being the person who said, when you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. He's incredible. You're going to love him. I can't believe it's the first time we're having him live. And so, can you um, say hello yeah. to him for me. He's a good friend. I will. 
I will say hello to him. He is he is one of the like the most uh, wonderful people. Everyone loves him. Um, so he's on the show tomorrow live. You won't want to miss that. And then on Friday on the show, we're talking robots. Um, and so we've got an amazing doctor here who's got a really cute robot that's doing things with autism. I can't wait. You know I'm into the robots. So uh, check that out. Uh, until tomorrow, though, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Thank you, Dr. Grant Pichet, and thank you to all of you. Bye-bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.